Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Friends, as we hold this scripture in our hearts, please join me in praying. God, we come to you asking that you might consume all of our attention, that there might not be any other thing that is more precious, more interesting, more endearing to us than you and your face, if just for these minutes. God, we pray that you will show us your truth in a time where truth seems to change from one minute to the next. We want to know how truth works in our lives today, how scripture shows us about truth today. Lord, we pray that you will change us and transform us as we offer ourselves out to you in an act of worship. May we bring you our best here, our best attention, our best faithfulness, all of our love. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So my friends, right before our scripture passage for today, there's this quirky little story about Jesus and his disciples as they begin their journey toward Jerusalem. And so they're beginning that journey toward Jesus' death. On their way to Jerusalem, Jesus sends some messengers on ahead of them into a Samaritan village to make arrangements for his staying there. But the Samaritans of that village end up refusing his stay, largely due to ethnic prejudices. And so James and John, who you will remember, are two of like the top-rated disciples. They're like, you don't get any better than James and John. They come up to Jesus and they ask this question in all seriousness. Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning out of the sky and incinerate them? Which is sort of hilarious, right? Do they overact, overreact a little much? Calm it down. Take it down a notch, right? Jesus doesn't find it funny. Jesus instead turns to them and turns on them and says, of course not. That's what it says in the Greek. Of course not. And so then they continue down the road to another village when someone asks if he can go along with them. Now I'm going to read this passage from the message. He says this, I'll go with you wherever this man says to Jesus, But Jesus is curt in his response. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. Then Jesus said to another, follow me. To which that person said, certainly. But first excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to make some arrangements for my father's funeral. And yet Jesus refuses to excuse him. First things first, Jesus says, your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Then another says, I'm ready to follow you, master, but first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. To which Jesus answers, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. That's right. So when Jesus gives instructions to the 70 or the 72 in our scripture passage for today, we see a couple of things right off the bat. First, we see that Jesus is not in the mood to suffer fools or endure excuses. He's not in the mood to help people feel better 
about their chosen priorities and values when those priorities and values are counter to the values of the kingdom of God. He's just not gonna put up with it. The second thing that we see right before Jesus gives these instructions to the 70 or the 72 is that in this passage before, he has just exampled for them what they are supposed to be doing as his disciples. He's not wasting time calling down revengeful fire from the sky. He's not going to join someone in their grief when the full life of the kingdom lies within their reach. And he's not going to patiently wait for someone to feel like they have it all together before that guy goes out and does what he's supposed to do. In the passage right before our passage for today, we see Jesus model absolutely everything that he is asking the 70 to do as they fan out into the world as bringers of good news. He's modeling it, then he says it. And so I'm going to encourage you, when you go home today, go to the end of chapter 9 in Luke and read it. In case, for whatever reason, his words aren't clear, let's see if his actions help to make it more clear. Okay? So, I know that you all just noted that, and you're going to rush home and do it, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this scripture passage that we have for today with the 70 and the 72, it is one of those... Epic passages in the shared life and study of the church. This passage is everywhere. If you've ever been to church for an extended period of time, you have probably come across this passage. Raise your hand if you have. Good. Those were low hands, but I'll give it to you. Next time, raise them up. So this this time, this passage is an epic passage for several reasons. It's on regular rotation in the lectionary. So for churches like the Presbyterian church that often use the lectionary, this passage is preached every single, every three years, at least, maybe a little bit more. So it's on the regular lectionary rotation, and it's been used for, as a cornerstone verse for churches and for ministries for decades and probably centuries. We have a really good example of that locally. Anyone familiar with Greg Laurie's Harvest Crusade? It started in 1990 out in Riverside. Anyone sound familiar? Yeah. So they use this scripture as their motivator, as their cornerstone verse, and they're not the only ones. And then this passage is also the quintessential passage for Christian evangelism. So if you are somebody who really feels that need or ever attended a class on how to evangelize, you have probably come to this passage because it works as sort of a short handbook for how to spread the good news of Jesus in the world. And it has like five simple rules. One, recognize that there's not a lot of people who are going to do this work. So if you're going to go out there and be an evangelist, you go out there with dedication. You're not going to get everyone to come along with you. Two, never go alone. Always bring a friend. Buddy system works for evangelism. Didn't know that Jesus started that, but he did. Third, travel light so that you can move without delays or ties. Travel light. Don't get caught up with the things that you know, oh, I forgot my wallet. You don't forget your wallet if you don't have your wallet with you. Number four, initiate new relationships, but don't impose. So you know that whole part in the scripture passage where he's like, eat what's set before you and don't go house to house? What people used to do back then is they would go and like start in a house, but if they didn't like the food, they'd get up and they'd go to the next house. They'd like find the best cook that was in the town and that cook would have all of the evangelists in the area. This is a really big deal too because remember, food is a big deal for them back then. 
Like there are certain dietary restrictions. And if you are going to a village that has Samaritans in it, if you are going to a village that has Gentiles in it, they are not going to be following your dietary restrictions as a faithful Jewish person. So by Jesus saying, eat what is, whatever is set before you, he's making a couple of statements there, right? So don't get picky over the menu. Don't ditch some one person for what you see is better. That's number four, initiate new relationships and don't impose. Fifth and last, If anyone rejects you, don't take it personally. Just move on. If anyone rejects you, just move on. Don't bother calling down hellfire. Just, you know, be gracious. Step away, right? So put simply, this passage is full of a lot of practical instruction from Jesus on how we can be agents of good news in the world, which he offers immediately after modeling what these instructions look like. So both in action and in word, Jesus is being clear as day about what he is asking and expecting of his disciples in terms of evangelism, in terms of sharing good news that we are forgiven, that we are free, that we have nothing to fear in God. And it's really important for us to note in this moment that Jesus wasn't really the kind of guy who gave a whole bunch of straightforward practical instruction. This is a rare moment for him in the life and teachings of Jesus. Jesus was more of a storyteller. He liked to convey his lessons through parables and metaphors and humor and hyperboles. If you need examples, just think about when he was talking about, you know, the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you have a log in your own eye, or about when he encouraged people to cut off their limbs and gouge out their eyes rather than risk acting unfaithfully. Or about the many stories that he told about farmers and judges and about homeowners and vineyard workers and about how yeast works in order to describe the kingdom of God. Jesus was more of a storyteller than he was a prescriber. So then we have to ask ourselves, if our passage for today is one of Jesus' rare moments of direct command and modeling action, then that must mean that the church throughout the centuries has really held on to these rare instructions and kept them close to heart and made sure to regularly follow all of these directions in order to perfect our ability to be evangelists in the world. Clearly, given how direct and how urgent Jesus is about us being a people who share good news, we must all be experts at this by now, right? We have 2,000 years of evangelism under our belts, part of our tradition. We in the church must be the best evangelists, right? Right. I think I heard someone be like, yeah, right. Perhaps. The universal church has done a lot of evangelism in the world. Uh, But perhaps it's not always been understood to be good news by those who have heard it. A little more specifically, the Presbyterian tradition that this church belongs to doesn't exactly have the reputation for being the most evangelistic. We didn't get the nickname the Frozen Chosen for nothing. (laughs) I have a pastor joke for you. You want to hear it? Good. Pastor jokes are sort of like dad jokes, but they're worse. You still want to hear it? Yeah, good, because I have the mic. You can't stop me. What do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness with a Presbyterian? 
Someone who knocks on your door and doesn't say anything. <laughs> you guys are good sports. Presbyterians are known for a lot of terrific things. We are known for our thoughtful and nuanced approach to Scripture. We are known for our staunch belief that we should be asking questions and engaging intellectually with both Scripture and the Spirit. We are known for our insistence that no one person apart from Jesus Christ should be the head of the church. And so we insist that every person is both necessary and valuable in doing the work of being the church in the world. There's nobody that is expendable. We are known for a lot of wonderful things, Presbyterians, but we are not known for being dedicated evangelists. And I think that that's true for many Christians in the world today, whether we be from the Presbyterian tradition or not. Many of us here are squeamish about being evangelists, about talking openly about the hope and the joy that we have experienced in Jesus Christ. We're nervous to share what we have with our friends or with strangers. And I think that we're that way for several reasons. I think the biggest reason that doing the work of the evangelist, the, the biggest reason that we struggle to do the work of the evangelist is because it's awkward. For many of us here, developing and engaging our faith is a really personal matter. It feels very private and it's vulnerable to talk about our faith with the people around us, even if we know them well. What are they going to think if I tell them that I follow an unheard voice? What are they going to think if I pray to a God in time of crisis because I need the comfort? What are they going to think that I come here and stand up and sit down and light candles and eat bread just an hour out of my week? What are they going to think? What if we offer out a word of encouragement about Jesus to someone only to have it dropped like a hot potato, or worse, only to have it left hanging in the air like it was never said, like they can always forget that we said that we were Christians. I think that there's a lot of things that are awkward about being evangelists today, which is what we're called to be. And part of that, too, is our own fault as members of the church. There's been a lot of times where people have come and tried to befriend someone just to save their soul, but don't really give any care about who they are as people. One of my first experiences with the church was when I was in high school. I was on the beach with my friends, and there was a couple of girls who came up, and they started talking to me and chatting with me and, you know, wondering how things were and what school we went to and all that stuff and asked if they could come and join us. And we thought it was great until they said at the very end, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And at the end, when my friends said, well, we're already Christians, and I wisely kept my mouth shut, they got up and they left. They didn't care. So often, there is awkwardness around talking about Jesus because we're not entirely sure how that's going to be received. And yet... Jesus calls us to be a people of good news all the same. 
We might have our insecurities about evangelism, places that come from anxiety and fear, this anxiety that we're going to be negatively labeled or disregarded, this fear that we're going to be seen as weak and strange, but we are not excused from the mandate of sharing good news just because we're fearful, fearful or worried. Jesus knows that we are fearful and worried. That's not a surprise. So then the question is, how do we go forward into the world as people who are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ when we don't feel equipped for the job? All right, I only have two points for us to consider on this, and then we're done. The first one is this. If we look really closely at the scripture passage for today, we see that Jesus makes a point to tell them not to bring anything with them, right? We talked about that earlier. Don't bring a purse, don't bring a bag, don't bring sandals as they go off evangelizing. And pretty much every commentator on this passage agrees that Jesus is telling them to do this so that they could travel light, so that they could stay nimble and responsive, so they won't be distracted by things at a time where they should be, should be consumed by God. And I think that all of that is true. I think that is definitely one of the reasons why Jesus told them to do that. But I also think that it's striking that just in the moment where Jesus is asking them to go and do miracles in his name, just as Jesus is asking them to go and represent his face to the unknown world, he de-equips them. Jesus de-equips his disciples. Just in the moment where he's asking them to represent him in the world, he tells them not to use any notes not to uh, bring their lucky talismans. Maybe they stole a swatch of Jesus' hair or something. They can't bring that. To drop the pamphlets and the gadgets and the gimmicks and the shows and to leave behind all of that fun stuff that they could have used in hooking people in to seeing that the good news is good. Which makes us ask, what then are they left with to use in sharing the good news? If they can't use any of the fun things, what do they have? He's leaving them with three things. He's leaving them with themselves. He's leaving them with a spirit. And he's leaving them with the people they meet. That's all they need. Themselves, the spirit, and the people they meet. And I think that that's the point. They don't need gimmicks. They don't need the books. They don't need the flashly, sparkly novelty to catch their eye. They need only three things themselves and their true and honest stories about who Jesus is to them. They need the spirit of God that travels ahead of, alongside, and behind them. And they need authentic and meaningful relationships with the people that they are going to meet and encounter. People that they are going to be reliant upon to feed them and to house them while they are there for good news. Have you ever stayed in someone's house? It's awkward. You get to know them really fast and really well, maybe better than you wanted to. They only need themselves and the spirit and the people that they meet. My friends, everything else is a distraction. Jesus de-equipped his disciples and Jesus de-equips us on purpose. All we need, my friends, to be good news in the world is already within our grasp. It's already in our possession. Which brings us to our second and final point. The scripture assures us that we possess all that we need 
so long as we go in the spirit and authentically engage and trust those whom we meet, that doesn't do much to alleviate the fear and the anxiety that keeps us from getting out the door. We might know the good news, but that doesn't necessarily motivate our feet. So what if we are the people who have all we need? So what if we have all we need? We might still look like fools doing what we are called to do. We might still feel rejected and judged. So if we have all that we need, when our fear is, that we are not, when our fear is not that we are lacking something, but our fear is that we are going to be hurt, what is it that we do? I think it's a reasonable fear, my friends. I think it's reasonable to be afraid that we are going to get hurt as we follow God into the world. But reasonable fears are not good excuses. Not to Jesus anyway. And scripture offers us comfort for this very fear right from the start, right from the beginning of our passage. Look on the back of your, scripture, uh, the back of your bulletin and read it. Right at the start. The Lord appointed them and sent them ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. My friends, if we feel the prompting of the spirit to go somewhere, to say something, to give something, that's not Jesus pushing us out of the nest to see if we fly or we flop. It is far from it. Instead, when we feel the prompting of the spirit, that is Jesus telling us, look, I am about to go here and you get to go first. So when we offer out that vulnerable thing, that hope, that faith, that comfort, that forgiveness, when we offer out the thing that we fear we are going to be most judged for and it hangs in the air or the person tries to drop it like a hot potato, it's not going to land. It's not going to float off into the ether. You want to know why? Because Jesus Christ is coming in right behind us and Jesus Christ is going to pick that up. And Jesus Christ is going to make sure that whatever it is that we offer to other people, that he is the one who sees it to completion. Do you get any comfort from that? Because I do. Because it means that we're not the ones responsible for saving souls, my friends. It means that we are the ones responsible to go out, to listen to the Spirit, to point to the kingdom of God as we see it breaking in, and to tell people that there is joy to be had, freedom to be had, love to be given. We might not be the original 70 friends, but the words of Jesus Christ to those 70 were intended for the church throughout time. We might always be the frozen chosen, but that doesn't mean that we cannot speak honestly and authentically about the things that bring us hope and peace and comfort. As we go out into the world today, may we go feeling confident that we are de-equipped. If you feel like you aren't able to do it, you're not. We are de-equipped as we go out into the world because all we need is provided us. And whatever it is that we do, we do not go at it alone. Jesus is coming right behind us to pick up the hot potato, to rein in the things that are valuable, to make sure that the kingdom is known by more than just us, but by all. If you will pray with me, Following our time of prayer, we're going to have just a little bit of silence. I invite you in that silence to offer your own prayers up to God or to tune your ears to hearing God's silent whisper. And then Becca will bring us back together with an ancient prayer. If you would like to follow that prayer, it's on the back of your bulletins.
Friends, if you will, join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that we do not have to have the answers and that we do not have to do it all. We are grateful that you, through that foolishness of humanity, show your wisdom. We are so grateful that even when we struggle to be faithful, even when our fears and anxieties went out, we are grateful that you still remain to be faithful to us, that you still smile and welcome us, that you beckon us towards your arms and in your heart. May we be people who think about and consider and then surrender ourselves into your work in the world, reminding ourselves that all we have to share is joy and peace, freedom and justice, hope and love, and that you are coming in behind to usher in the kingdom to eternity.